we are in a new series, Advent, and uh, this is something that we do each year. Uh, it's, a, it's a season of uh, expecting uh, to celebrate Christ. Advent, in case you are not super familiar with it, uh, is something that has actually been around for a long time. Uh, there's evidence of, of Advent practices way back in like uh, the fourth century. So this, this idea of leading up to Christmas, leading up to the remembrance and celebration of Jesus uh, has a long tradition. But the candles, we decided to have gigantic ones this year. Um, the candles themselves, uh, they didn't really uh, come on the scene until the 1800s. Uh, in fact, it was a Lutheran pastor who was uh, uh, overseeing a children's home that came up with the idea because the kids were kept asking him once December hit, is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? So uh, he, like many people in that situation, needed a system. So we got a wagon wheel and, and drilled 24 holes in the wagon wheel and lit a candle each day so the children would know, oh, it's you know five days left, four days left. And over the years, that got distilled down into uh, five candles. And uh, each one traditionally having a theme, faith, hope, love, peace, and then the last one for, for Christ. And so uh, our Christmas sermon series is going to be looking at those themes. Uh, we're going to call it looking for gospel themes in the story of Christmas. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll get into our theme for today, which is faith. So uh, Lord God, we are thankful for the Christmas season. Lord, I'm so thankful that even still in our culture, this is a time of year when, when everyone uh, seems uh, eager to, to celebrate. There's a, a special feeling in the air. We're glad for that, Lord. Uh, but we don't just want people to be excited about lights, excited about trains and special events, Lord. We want for them to know that there is a genuine joy that can come from knowing you as Savior and Lord, and that the, the right uh, approach to this season is to be one where we are anticipating uh, your second coming. We, we celebrate your first coming as a child, but anticipate that you're coming again. And so, God, I pray this would be a season where more people come to know you as Savior. We pray this would be a season where we as a church uh, have it upon our hearts to invite out those who don't yet know Christ. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would indeed be glorified. So help us now as we turn our attention to this topic of faith and look for it in the Christmas story and help, help us to understand it more fully and uh, in more detail so that we might uh, grow in our own faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So faith, uh, I'm just gonna start by saying this, uh, is, is not just for religious people. Uh, you may be here this morning and, and not really consider yourself to be a person of religious faith, uh, and that's fine. Uh, we're glad you're here. We want everyone to come, perhaps who's interested. Uh, but faith itself, we should understand, is, is not it's not simply religious faith when we think of the term. Faith is, is a complete trust or confidence in, in something. And it's fair to say that every human being has a, has a something that they believe in, uh, whether it's an ideology, whether it's a, a system, a governing principle, whether it may be some sort of religious faith or, or deity, there is something at the deepest part of who we are that we believe in uh, and yet cannot fully explain or, or fully prove. Even a secular scientist must come to a point of faith in his, in his worldview because there are certain things that he or she believes about how the universe originated, a big bang back billion, trillion, whatever years ago, and it is something that cannot be proven scientifically. It's not testable, it's not repeatable. And so even though they would say, look, there's evidence as to why I think this is, this is what happened, it's, it still ultimately comes down to faith. 
faith is something that we all need, and it's something that uh, anchors us. The, the real question is, what is the nature of that faith? And of course, this morning, we're going to be talking about Christian faith, and my hope is that as we look to it, we're going to approach it very practically, going to try to unpack what it is, um, what does it mean, what does it look like in our lives, and where we see it in the story of Christmas itself. And so, uh, we're going to have four points this morning, all about faith, and the first one is this. Faith is believing God in all things. Faith is believing God in all things, and uh, for each of the points, I'm going to try to look to uh, the story of Christmas itself and see where we see examples of this. And when it comes to faith, there are some great and not so great examples of faith in the story of Christmas. Uh, in fact, there's, there's kind of a contrast in terms of the, some of the main characters of the Christmas story. I'm thinking in particular of Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. Uh, but in particular, Zechariah and Mary. If you uh, remember Zechariah, uh, he was the father of John the Baptist. And the Christmas story kind of begins in Luke with actually an angel coming uh, to him and saying, your, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a child, which is surprising if you remember the story because she is quite old and he is quite old. And so his initial response is not one of faith. Uh, his initial response is one of, of doubt and, and questioning doubt. And so here's, here's the response from Zechariah to the angel as he's in the temple of God, right? This glorious moment, this man who was a man of faith. And yet this is what he says. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Right? How, how could this be true? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Notice he says it differently, right? He's being kind to his wife. <laughs> and the angel answered him, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I love this response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So a very stern rebuke, right? Gabriel's like, don't you know who I am? Right? I'm not messing around here. I'm not bringing you some just wild idea. Yes, it seems improbable, but this is what God is saying, and so you should have believed it. That's the essence of faith, right? That when God speaks, when he proclaims something to be true, we believe it to be true. And of course, we see the opposite in Mary, right? Mary, again, you, you know the story, an angel comes to her and tells her something very improbable, very in incredible that she will be with child, even though she hasn't been with any man. And the astounding response that Mary gives, very simple. Here it is in Luke 138. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So notice that phrasing, right? According to your word, the word of God, I believe it. Let, let that happen. She submits, she trusts, she believes because it comes from, from the Lord. And this this is essentially what faith is. A core component of faith is that we simply believe God in all things that he speaks to, in, in every aspect of reality, every aspect of our lives. And we see faith actually uh, detailed in a couple of places in scripture. We heard Hebrews 11 read, and uh, we're gonna look to that uh, again. In fact, here's uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And this is what we see in, in Mary. She's seeing an angel, but she doesn't know how this is going to happen. And yet what she, she believes, she has conviction. She believes it to be true. Let's look now at uh, someone who is often called the father of faith, Abraham. And uh, as you know, Abraham was given a similar, a similar word, right? Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations, right? You, your 
your wife, Sarah, even though she's very old and you're very old, is going to have a child. And Abraham's faith is, in, in the book of Romans, it's, it's like there's a magnifying glass uh, or a microscope put on, on the faith that he has, the belief that he has in this word from God. So uh, Romans 4, 18 to 22, is, is this. In hope, he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. What a beautiful description of this man and these improbable, impossible uh, circumstances. And yet, and yet, what does it say? You sort of get a sense of, the, of how his faith grew because as he got older and the promise of God was not yet being fulfilled, uh, his faith grew. Why? Because he gave glory to God. He remembered the promise, remembered the word, and said, I still trust it to be true. That, that is the essence of faith. That even though the circumstances around him made it seem, you know, increasingly unlikely this could ever happen, and yet his faith grew because he was focused on the one who gave the word. And the amazing thing about this, this text in Romans is that the next part connects that kind of a faith to our faith today for those of us who have faith in Christ. So look at the next couple verses. Uh, verse 23, but the words... It was counted to him, to Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So you see that same counting as righteousness, that same uh, essence of, of blessing from God is counted to us who believe. The, the, the same nature, the same essence of what is going, we're believing what God said is true, that Jesus came, that he actually died for our sins, that he rose again, and our faith in him then, what is counted to us is, is righteousness, the blessing of God. And so it's the same dynamic, right? That we can't see Jesus, we, we didn't see the cross, and yet we believe it to be true. We believe all of the spiritual implications for us, that is the essence of our, of our faith, because we believe God in all things, especially in Christ but especially for what Christ means for us in all things. So practically speaking, I thought I'd kind of think through a little bit about what this looks like for us, right? For Abraham, very clear. He was given a word, a promise, and, and he struggled to believe that promise for the decades until it actually was fulfilled. And, and that really is the nature of every person of God, every person of faith. There's that same uh, dynamic at play where we've received a word, We've heard God say something about us, about himself, and, and it's a challenge for us to believe it. So I thought what might be helpful is just to think through some of the, the words of God that we find in the Bible that are true for us, proclaimed to us, promises in a sense, and then just think about do we really believe that to be true? You can take, I mean, there's everything in the Bible you could take, but here's just a couple of examples. So uh, here's the words of Jesus, Matthew uh, 11, 28 to 29. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, very familiar verse, verses, very familiar uh, promises, words from Jesus. Uh, my question, though, is do we really believe these words to be true? I, th- I think we know that, that all human beings are, are longing for a sense of rest. We can, we can see it all around us. We can see it in our own lives. We also know that there's a lot of different ways that we could find rest. That, that whether we are a person of faith in Christ or not, there's a lot of uh, opportunities out there, a lot of things vying for our attention, saying, look, participate in this, join this club, do this activity, buy this exercise equipment, whatever it is, and it will, it will bring a sense of rest to your, to your soul. They maybe don't say that on the box, but that's really what is being, being said, right? This, this thing uh, is something that will center you, ground you. There's all sorts of different uh, practical things from, from you know, different diets, different supplements. There's different quasi-spiritual things, right, that you can get involved in, practices that are, that are they say, look, if you do this, man, you're going you're gonna to feel rested, you're going to feel settled. And for us as people of God, my question is, to what extent do we realize that all of those things are not telling the truth and that there is only one source of true rest and that as we in faith approach Christ in our times of trial, in our times of unsettledness, we can actually find rest in him. Why? Because he has done the things that those other things can't do, which is to bring peace with God, to bring a, a a renewal to our soul. I'm just trying to help us to see that all of the words of Jesus, all of the words about him, that there's an element of faith in terms of how we actually uh, approach them. What prominence they have in our lives. Here's here's another one. This is about about us. Uh, I'm going to put two together. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then John 8.36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. How much time do we spend wishing that we were different? That we could change? How discouraged do we get when it seems like things are not changing? And how often do we look to other things in the hopes that they might change us? That they might set us free? If you're like me, you know there's been times in your life when you've just been so frustrated, there's a cycle of sin, uh, an area of darkness, uh, some, something that seems to have gotten a hold of you, and you just can't break free from it. And, and it's very easy, in light of that circumstance, in light of perhaps many you know, failings over the, the months or weeks or years or whatever it is in your life, to think, I don't think I can ever get free from this. And yet we look to the, to the Bible, and it says the opposite. We, we are free in Christ. There is no hold over us, spiritually, morally, Legally, we are, we are no longer condemned in our sin. We are, if we've been set free by Christ, we are free indeed. And by faith, we can walk in that freedom. By faith, we need to believe that we are new creations. That whatever we've done in the past, whatever's been said about us, whatever's been done to us does no longer define us. This is an, an issue of faith. And it comes down to whether we believe, in fact, what God says is, is actually true. One more, just to kind of complete 
the circle here is, is something that God says about reality. Classic verse. We, we Probably most of us know it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? I mean, think of the things that happened this week. Did you approach those things that totally did not go the way that you expected with a sense of faithfulness, with a sense of, you know what, I think even this, God's going to somehow work it out. Is, is that the way that we actually see reality? Do you see that to be a person of faith is to actually believe God for all of these things, who he is, who we are, the nature of, of reality around us and our future? That's what it means to be people of faith. That, that's, that's what we see in Mary. Right? Not a lot of information, and yet believe the source of the word. Believe the future for her would, would involve the blessing of God, even though it certainly involved hardship and difficulty and uncertainty. So, so faith is, is believing God in all things, and that leads to the next thing about faith, was that faith is obeying God in all things. And this we see in the Christmas story very, very clearly in, in Joseph. Joseph is the best. Joseph gets uh, a similarly incredible word from an angel, right? He's at the point of realizing Mary's with child. Uh, I'm going to have to divorce her. I'm going to have to separate from her. He's trying to wrestle through that. And an angel of the Lord comes and basically says the same thing, the same incredible thing. Actually, she, it's, the, it's God in her, the Savior of the world. And so, Joseph, go and take her as your wife. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. And look at Joseph's uh, response. Matthew 1.24. When Joseph woke from sleep... He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. That's, that's amazing. He didn't, think about it. He didn't talk to anyone. He didn't pray about it for like a few weeks and think about what this would really mean. Like if to really kind of, you know, before I make any decision, I got to make sure I try to connect all the dots and, and figure that's nothing necessarily bad, but he's got a word from God. And so he responds as you should when you have a word from God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey. Why? Because he has the faith to believe that wherever this road leads, it is going to be for my good. Because God is pointing me in that direction. We see the same thing uh, with, with Abraham. Go back to him, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. It's even in a sense more amazing for Abraham because at the time he was a a polytheist, he pagan worshiper, many gods, right? Also, like everyone at the time. And then there's this God that he has never met who speaks, and that's something that no other gods have done, and, and he simply obeys. Man, that's faith. To go away from family, certainty, familiarity, to go out into who knows where. And yet that is Here's what we need to understand. That is essential to be a person of faith. That we are willing to obey. That we are, we are willing to go. Willing to, to follow the word, the command of God. And you, you can think of it, and I, th I think, in sort of two different categories. They're, they're related, but uh, there are some, uh, let's say, general commands in the Bible to everyone. Uh, all human beings, and then certainly all Christians. Uh, very simple things, like, like repent. Like forgive, like go and make disciples, do not be anxious, give generously, show mercy. I mean, there's a ton of them. 
And these are commands that we, we should obey. Not, not should in the sense that we need to earn our salvation, right? that comes as a gift, but should in the sense that if we're saved, if we love Jesus, we're, we're, of course we're going to do this. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't we? Our hearts have been transformed. We want to respond. So there is a, a real sense, I think, for all of us that we, we should, as we're thinking about faith, thinking about obedience, be like, man, am I really, is my life consistent with what the Bible is, is describing? But I think there are also what maybe you'd call more specific uh, issues of obedience. And by specific, I mean uh, something that might be a call for us on our life in particular. You see this in the Bible when Jesus is speaking with Peter. Before he's, you know, he's after he's resurrected, he comes, there's reconciliation with Peter who had denied him. And he says, Peter, I want to, I'm going to build my church on you, right? And he tells him, you're going to go, you're going to build. He sort of makes a reference to you're going to die for this. And Peter at the time says, well, what about, uh, like, what about John? What about that guy? And, uh, and Jesus says, look, don't worry about him. You just worry about what I'm calling you to. I'm giving you a direction. This is what you are to do with your life. And Peter, Peter does it faithfully. But that kind of call is something that is going to be a little bit different for each one of us. And yet we should approach it with the same type of faith. Meaning when we have certainty and clarity that God is calling us to something, we, we need to obey it. So, for example, I was talking with a family in the church that had been through uh, the, an adoption process in their family. We were just talking about that. And they were describing a process of, of this kind of a thing, discerning a sense of call. And um, it came first to the wife, who was much sort of clear, convicted by, I think this is what we should do. The husband, um, maybe not surprisingly, was trying to work out the details, right? This is going to cost a certain amount of money. We don't actually have that money. Uh, so how is this going to work, right? And there is some hesitancy there until he also, through prayer, got to the point of saying, no, I feel a conviction. They, they described it as that if we had not done this, uh, we would be disobedient to the call of God on our lives. They weren't saying everyone around them should have done this exact same thing. They're saying for, for them, they sensed the call of God. And so even though the finances weren't there, they went ahead with it. What is that? That's faith. That's faith and obedience, right? As Romans would say on either end of Romans, the obedience of faith, that when we trust in God himself and believe that he intends good for us, then we go wherever he leads. And so that's going to look a little bit different for each one of us, but but the essential component is that there's going to be some aspect of our life that when the world looks at it, they say, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get why you would ex overextend yourself. That doesn't seem wise. I don't get why you would move from, why would you go to that place? Why would you have them over? Why would you stand up for that, right? And, and the response is, well, this is, this is what God has called me to. Either generally, this is what I see in the word, or for me, this is, this is a calling I feel. This was Don and I, right? Leaving teaching to go in ministry, it was a sense of, of just conviction. If we don't do this, we, our souls will not be at peace. And, and it's incumbent upon all of us to be people of faith, to spend time in prayer, to be so united with Christ that we can get a sense of where the Spirit is leading. And here's the, here's the thing that makes this easier. This was helpful. I was speaking with... Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Brad Bates, uh, some of you may know him. He's involved in missions uh, for a bunch, a bunch of years. And um, uh, he was just talking about this next season of his life. He and his wife were trying to figure out where they're going to go. And they were, they were basically in prayer saying, Lord, we'll go wherever you want us to go. Right? He spent time in the Middle East. And 
in India and they were ready to go anywhere. And, and we were just talking about that, that sense of openness, willingness to go. And, um, and I was asking him about that. Like, how do you explain that to people? He said, well, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people say to him, look, man, that's, that's amazing. I'm so glad I could never do that. And, and he says, why? He says, well, there's just it's so much risk involved to go and move your family. And here's his response. No, no, you don't understand. There's no risk. And if people are confused, he said, there's, there's no risk. We're following where God is leading us. There's no risk down that path. The risk is that we might go on another path, farther away from the Lord, that we might get ourselves entangled more with the love of the world, and that we might get to a place where our faith is, is not even there anymore because it's not being exercised. This should be true of all of us. Again, not that we're, not that we're necessarily adopting, that we should support that, not that we're going overseas, that we should support that, but what is God calling us to? Are we obedient to the call of God in our lives? Third thing we think, see about faith is that faith is enduring all things for Jesus. And this kind of flows naturally from the, the second point, because if we're going to be obedient, we're going to put ourselves in positions where it's difficult. Now, uh, Mary and Joseph, they knew some things about, being, uh, about enduring for Jesus. I mean, the whole, the whole thing was enduring, right? Mary, as soon as she got that word, as soon as she started showing she was enduring a lot of hardship, a lot of social stigma, ridicule. She was putting her family in an awkward position, putting Joseph in an awkward position. All of that would have been emotionally trying. She had to endure. Why? Because she was obedient to the call. She was, she was faithful to what God was doing in her life, and so she walked down that path. And when Joseph got on board, things didn't get easier. They had to make a long journey to Bethlehem, right? Have Jesus in a, in a cave or a whatever somewhere, Right? Very, very difficult. And then it didn't get easier. I mean, they spent a couple of years. Jesus grew up. The wise men came. That was cool. Right? They got gifts, frankincense, myrrh. Right? All, I don't know what those things do, but they're great. And, but the, the threat did not diminish. So here's, here's a little section from Matthew that we don't often read uh, for the Christmas story. Matthew 2, 13 and 14. Uh, now when they had departed, that's the wise men, when they had left, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So just think about the life that Joseph thought he was going to live and the life he's living now. He, I mean, he was, he was ready to have a, a great little life. Right? With, he's a carpenter. He's probably ready to build a home for, for Mary. It was going to be calm. It was going to be just a regular, normal life. And now what is he doing? He's traveling to Egypt. He doesn't know how to speak Egyptian. He's got to try to figure out a life there. And he's there until when? Until he's told to come back. Totally uncertain. Filled with danger. Filled with peril. And why were they doing it? Because that's what God called them to. And how were they doing it? By faith. By faith, enduring all things for Jesus. This is the nature of a faithful life. And we see it again in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, right? All about faith. Uh, here's what it says uh, about Moses. Now, Moses, uh, also man of faith, uh, but Moses, if you know him, was a Hebrew child adopted into the Pharaoh's um, household, raised as a prince of Egypt, had every opportunity that he shouldn't have had, really, and yet he gave it all up. And so look at how it describes this um, in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. This is, this is a fascinating verse. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So a couple of really interesting things there. The last verse is, is the how he did it. Right? How did he do all of this? He did it as if seeing him who is invisible. So Moses, if you remember, had the amazing experience with the burning bush, the bush that wouldn't be consumed. God kind of manifested himself, didn't see God, but saw something that was so incredible that believed that this was, this was God who was speaking to him. But as he went and did all the things God called him to, he did it as if he was seeing God, the invisible God who was with him. This helps us to understand how it is that we can endure for the sake of God, for the sake of Christ. Because we do it as if God is with us. And as Christians now in the New Testament, we do it knowing that God is with us. For his spirit is within us. But notice the other interesting thing there. Uh, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Fascinating, first of all, what an amazing decision, faithful decision to turn his back on all of the, all the prosperity, all the wealth that he could have in Egypt, which was considerable, to, to go and be faithful. But also, notice what's inserted there. He considered the reproach of Christ. If you're wondering ever why you hear preachers preach Jesus in the Old Testament, is verses like this that are why. Because the Bible makes clear Jesus didn't just appear on the scene with the Christmas story. That he is the son of God, eternally begotten, present in the Old Testament, at work in the Old Testament, not, not revealed as such, but there. And so the faith that Moses had was he was willing to be reproached for the sake of God. And, and now for us, on this side of the cross, we see that and we understand exactly what we are to do with our lives. That we are to live a life enduring for the sake of Christ. S seeing the the persecution, the difficulty, the hardship that comes as we are obedient to God as, as being of greater worth than all of the wealth in the world. Why? Because we're identified with the Son of God. We're identified with Christ himself. You see this in, um, in the book of Acts a lot. Uh, but here's one example of uh, the, the, the apostles at the time. Uh, you know what was happening back then. They kept talking about Jesus. They kept getting arrested. They kept getting in trouble. People kept telling him, stop, stop talking about Jesus so much. And they would go and do it again. They get beaten up. They get thrown in jail, right, over and over again. And here's, you look at their response, right? Acts 5, 40, 41. And when they, the religious leaders, had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What is this? This is faith. These are, these are men who understand the worth of Jesus. And it is their joy to be associated with him, identified with him, so much so that they are beaten like Christ was beaten. Why? Because they want to be worthy of the name of Christ. The God who came down and died so that we all might have life. They say, yeah, we're with him. We're with him. Even if you beat us, even if you kill us, even if you throw us in jail, that's, that's who we want to be associated with because we recognize true value, true wealth. That, that's how we endure by faith. That like Moses, 
He, he wasn't fooled by the, the wealth of the world, the shininess, the sparkles. I mean, it's a challenge at Christmas, right? There, we we want to give gifts. It's a good thing to show love. And yet, man, where we live in the world, it's hard to know, are we, are we swimming in this water? Are we drowning in it? Like, what's, what's going on? One of the ways we can tell whether our hearts are pure is whether we are willing to endure. Whether we see reproach for the sake of Christ as something that is valuable. Something that, that that's what we want to be true of us. That's what we want people to know about. So faith is believing. Faith is is obeying and faith is enduring all things for Jesus. And there's one more. Number four, faith is experiencing the power of God. Now, uh, the Christmas story is certainly, I think we'd all agree, a story of power. I mean, it's the power. I don't even know how to describe the power, the, the compression of, of the God of the universe Right? The second person of the Trinity, to be, to be compressed, this infinite being, down to a zygote, right? to, to, to a few cluster of cells in Mary's womb. I, I don't know what, how to describe that kind of power. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is, is like a diamond, right? This organic matter pressurized to become this gemstone. I know now we have like plasma chambers and, and artificial diamonds, and the whole market is, you know, it's artificially uh, just uh, elevated. But what I'm saying is it's still amazing, Right? It still sparkles, it's brilliant. It's, and to think that, that that was through intense compression, that that's how it happened. That's what comes to my mind, the power. The power of taking the God of the universe and now seeing him as, as a child, it's, it's incredible. This is the kind of power that comes with faith. And, and we see this over and over again in the Bible. Here's Hebrews 11 again. Hebrews 11, 11. Again, Abraham and Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Just think of that progression, right? When it was first revealed, right? Sarah was barren, man, that would have been amazing. But as the years went by, it was increasingly unlikely that this woman would ever get pregnant. How could she ever get pregnant? And so the amount of power required was just exponentially great to the point when it finally happened, it was just, it would, it, how could this ever happen apart from the divine power of God? And notice, how did she experience this? By faith. By faith, because she trusted. She trusted the word, trusted the promise. Faith is always associated with miraculous power. Uh, the miracles, for example. Here's a couple of uh, times. You, you notice the, the language of the way that Jesus speaks and the way that the miracles happen when he's here uh, on earth. Uh, Matthew eight thirteen is when the centurion uh, sends word to Jesus, can you heal my servant? You don't even have to go there. Just, just say the word and he will be saved. What does Jesus say? Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Mark uh, 5.34, to the woman who's, who's ill and sick, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Over and over again, you see Jesus astounded. Right? It's when people believe and they come to him in faith that then miraculous things happen. This is the nature of faith the nature of our walk with faith, the nature as we follow Christ, that we should expect to experience the divine power of God as we take steps of obedience, as we believe, as we endure. You see it in Acts, in, in the, when the Holy Spirit falls. Look at Acts 1.8. This is Jesus telling them what's going to happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. How, how could we possibly think that this little band of, of disciples is going to have any impact on the entire earth? By the power of God. Through, through faith. Right? They, they stepped out. They went in faith. But it's the power of the Spirit of God within them. And then as they speak, the Spirit moves and people's hearts change. It's power. They experience the power as they lived and stepped out by faith. I mean, our very salvation, I hope you understand, is only in a reality because of the power of God. Right? In Ephesians, we were dead in our sins, now alive. How? By the power. We, all of us, if we are Christians, have experienced this power. And, and the challenge for us is to believe that, that that power will continue to be part of our lives, which, which is a real challenge because there are many things in our lives that seem insurmountable. And there are many things in our lives that we wanted to change and they haven't changed yet. But if we look at scripture, what we should understand is that timing is, is, is in God's hands, not in ours. So, so faith is not a lever that we pull. Right? It's not trusting enough, believing enough, now that the miracle happens. Faith is being in relationship with the one who has the power and trusting that in his good timing, it will be unleashed and unveiled in, in our lives, which is crucial that we understand. Because the truth is that we all need power. All of us, if we took the time to just, just go around and talk. And, and maybe this week, if you're in community group or Bible study, maybe you can do that. But we all have areas of our lives where we need change. We, we, need, we need something to happen in our life, in the life of someone we know, and, and we are powerless to make it happen. There are strongholds of darkness. There are patterns of sin. There's opposition from the world. All of it far outside of our control. How will we ever hope to get to a place of experiencing the fullness of what God has for us if there isn't power? And, and how are we to experience that power if we are not people of faith? The, the challenge for us is that we come up against these things that are too big and, and too strong and, and maybe we fail or simply God just doesn't answer us right away and then we begin to lose heart and we turn away. We, we look to other things just to get us through the day or, or just to make some peace in our lives, we, we very quickly get to the point of disbelieving that there is still power at our disposal. We forget how it is we came to faith, that it wasn't our wisdom, right? Not that we figured things out. It's not that we prayed a, a prayer. It's that God chased after us, right? As we were running away from it in our sin, right? Of no desire, no need for him. And he saved us by miraculous power, opened our eyes to see our sin, which no one wants to see, and to confess it, which no one wants to do, and then turned him in faith, believing that he can save us. This is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and that transforms hearts day in, day out, in the timing of God. So what we need to do when we are discouraged is to not look elsewhere to get on our knees in faith, praying, Jesus, Jesus, I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm not going anywhere else. Jesus, I believe what you say is true. I believe there's no heart too hard 
There's no darkness too dark that your light cannot shine. So Jesus, would you give me the faith to, to endure, to continue in obedience to the point where I will see your power revealed. And in that moment, give you glory. This is a life of faith. And, and as closing, I just want to read um, another part in Hebrews. This time Hebrews 12. Because it, it, it's the focal point of our, of our faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You could hear the angels singing as I <laughs> read that last verse. So let me pray for us. Let me pray for those of us who have faith that it would crystallize, that it would be strengthened. If you're here this morning and have no faith, my hope is you see the value of faith in Christ above all other faith. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you that we have opportunity to reflect on the story of Christmas and the themes therein. And the theme of faith is one, oh Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for. So thankful for the the work that you have done to bring us to faith and for the promise that you make that you will sustain us in our faith. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would seek to be faithful. Help us to identify those areas where we, we are simply not believing what you say to be true. Help us also, Lord, to, to heed the call, to be obedient to what you're calling us to. And Lord, may we endure with faith and with joy. And Lord, may we expect there to be power revealed in our lives and the lives of those around us because that is the kind of God you are. You are gracious, you are powerful. All glory be to God. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.